0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Genesis blog podcast. Uh, today is number seven of our protocol analysis series where we analyze different protocols with the investment template we had created. Today's protocol in question is Nexus Mutual, which is uh, kind of an insurance platform, but not really. But uh, Sid Sid Shah is going to lead, lead us today and explain it to us. So
1: without any further ado, take it away, Sid. Yes, thanks, Yash. Um, yeah, so Nexus Mutual essentially is a, you can think of it as a decentralized insurance protocol. Um, it's, uh, and you know, like before we dive into what exactly Nexus Mutual is and how it works, um, we I'll just like, you know, rattle off some of the important facts. So um, firstly, Nexus w- is based on um, the Ethereum blockchain. Um, it's raised 3 million dollars of funding uh from the likes of blockchain capital uh, semantic ventures collider ventures 1kx 1 confirmation um and it actually covers a significant number of protocols um in terms of providing insurance for products across those protocols um there were at you know the last count that I did a couple of days ago about 122 products that have been covered across protocols for a, um, a variety of different types of um, you know covers that they've got, uh, right? So um, the first thing to to understand about Nexus Mutual is that it is set up as a mutual, so it's 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 set up as a company limited by guarantee in the UK and uh, it it operates under a discretionary mutual structure. Um, So the members of the mutual have a legal right to proportional ownership of the mutual, and um, they're responsible for providing a guarantee. So the guarantee is just a nominal figure. It's about like one pound per member. Um, So if the mutual ever runs out of money, each member is only liable for a further pound. So that's not much, right? Um, So essentially a, a mutual is not really a provider of insurance but it's a it, it's a legal structure which enables members to trade with each other um under you know one legal entity so um it you it doesn't need to conform with all the legal and regulatory requirements um that the entire in, uh, insurance industry needs to comply with right um and just you know that it, it's also got the benefits that the its products are not subject to insurance premium tax um and, uh, and, and you know any surplus or distributions aren't taxed in the hands of members. Um, and uh, the, the mutual just pays tax on like you know whatever trades um, are done outside of the mutual. Um, so essentially you can you can think of it as being set up um, as a to enable a decentralized alternative to insurance. Um, and the the mutual operates as a kind of risk sharing fo- po- uh, pool. Um, so you know um, so, so that everyone in the mutual can purchase and be covered by the products offered by the mutual, right? Um, and it's it's fully owned by the members. Um, and you know it's in, in the traditional manner, like like we've grown used to um, you know these the way these protocols work. Uh, it, it's got a bunch of incent, token incentive based mechanisms to uh, incentivize and participate in risk assessment, claims assessment, and overall governance of Nexus Mutual, right? So um, there are a few key components of Nexus Mutual that are uh, that, that, that are important to to understand. Um, firstly, right, like I, I just want to talk about the 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 trends. Um, essentially, why there has been a need for such a mutual uh, to emerge. So, firstly, there's the blockchain and crypto angle, which is that obviously we're in a very nascent industry, and a lot of products and uh, projects are very new the the code um the protocol itself it's not really battle tested and um you know there are people and and again there's not not like a regulatory or legal wrapper that allows you know that that allows people who participate in crypto to be covered by um, you know let's say like in the us you have fdic insurance or something like that right um, so there's nothing like that for crypto projects and there's th- therefore inherently a need for insurance to be provided um, for these pro- for these products right so there is a demand uh, that uh, f- from users of protocols and smart contracts um, etc to actually purchase cover and there's a there's essentially therefore a demand to pay premiums to uh, any sort of protocol any sort of entity that is willing to offer insurance products Um, and another one would be just you know problems with the current insurance industry so as we've seen you know as a common theme uh, across a lot of the protocols that we've covered and a lot of protocols that we've seen elsewhere uh, there, there are inherent issues with the way that the Industries that they're in currently work and operate, right? So today, for example, insurers decide how customer money is handled, including how it's invested, which risk is still back, um, when it gets paid out to shareholders. So it's a bit of a black box, and people who pay premiums and purchase cover don't really need to, don't really get to decide on any of that, right? Um, so uh, interests aren't really aligned because the thing is that there's unlimited upside for the insurance company to be able to manage the money because they reap the profits of doing so. But the customers suffer when the, if the insurance company goes bust, and I mean, we saw that, right? We saw that during the 2008 financial crisis when Aon, um, I think it's Aon that went bust. Um, uh, Or like, you know, well, not really. I it think it was bust. AIG. Right? Sorry, it was AIG. So you use AIG. Yeah. That, um, Both United that... sponsors, but yeah, AIG <laughs> went bust, which is why Aon became a sponsor yeah yeah exactly sorry aig became bust exactly um so yeah um another point is that it's difficult for customers to also understand how safe particular insurers are right like i mean if i gave you an option between five insurers would you have any idea of telling me which one is the more safe insurer i mean i kind of doubt it because people aren't uh, people just take the deals that they are offered, right? Um, so there's no real way for anyone to judge how safe a particular insurer is without delving incredibly deep into how they work. And um, today also, 35% of insurance premiums are lost due to frictional costs in the system. So only 65% of premiums are returned to customers via claims. So the traditional inefficiencies of, you know, the current system um, that have, you know th- th- that have just replicated themselves in the insurance industry as well right so you know there's not uh th- there's obviously a bunch of problems and a-, a large market for someone like nexus mutual to uh t- to address right so um now just to get on to how nexus mutual actually works um so there are oh, few, before, sorry, that, oh, yeah, before that oh sorry just
0: uh, i wanted to just like clarify certain things so I mean yeah. to understand anything I like to break it down to like as basic a level as possible so the yeah. way insurance works is that everyone uh knows that the chance of something like a car crash or your house getting destroyed is very low it's a tail risk but yeah. they would still want to insure against it and everyone would want to insure against it but the chance of it happening to everyone is very less and only happens to a few people so all insurance yeah. is. is a bunch of people pooling in money, and a few people get paid out of it, uh, because you know the thing they're insuring against happens to happen to them. Yeah. So the way it traditionally worked is that um, lots of money give lots of people give money to an insurance company, and the insurance company has to pay back a few people. And while they are in custody of the money, they have to basically reinvest it to ensure that they get a high enough return as in as an insurance company and remain profitable. Uh, yeah. so uh, there is an inherent um, uh, you know difference in incentives for users and the insurance company. The insurance company is incentivized by profit maximization while the user wants the highest claim possible, right? Uh, And then like any traditional web two company, there has been a increase in efficiency due to, you know, changes in tech. So like in fintech, even though the traditional banking system was there, fintech companies came and built on top of it to make it more efficient. But underlying the system was flawed, which is now insurance aggregators like policy bazaar are coming in and doing the same thing where they are building a good digital platform to people for people to come on. But it's still based on a legacy system of insurance, which is why Web3 insurance is like a complete change in that whole dynamic, the same way DeFi was.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's a really good overview of how insurance works today. And like what the what, again, the issues with insurance are in the current system, right. Um, And I think that to a certain extent, Nexus Mutual replicates how the process of insurance works. Um, today as well but it does it in a in in a more decentralized manner it, it gives opportunities to a, a bunch of more people um, and entities to actually act as to actually assess the risk of a um uh, to, to actually assess the risk of a product uh, of a protocol or a product or something like that and it also allows a lot of people to assess claims um that you know for example if i have insured something and you know uh, that that event has occurred then i'm going to make a claim to the insurance company and a lot of and a more decentralized set of claims assessors is possible uh, with something like nexus mutual than it is with you know a traditional insurance company so um, yeah just mutual actually works so uh, as you might have guessed right there are two or three key components to how uh, an insurer actually works so in this case uh, nexus mutual has has got two main components i would say and a, uh, and a bunch of other obviously like really important components as well but the two main ones uh, in my opinion are the claims assessment and the risk assessment right so the the risk assessment firstly um is you know for example if a new protocol wants to list a nexus mutual uh risk assessors need to stake NXM, which is the uh, native token of Nexus Mutual to open up cover availability and bring down the cost of cover. So for example, if a, if a product needs to be, if a product wants to be listed, um, then uh, risk assessors will need to stake NXM against that product to be, to to signal that people actually want that product to be covered by Nexus Mutual. Right? And we'll get into like what the uses of NxM are later on when we talk about the tokenomics um, and, and, and that aspect. Uh, so for example, um, yeah, so risk assessors, they stake NXM against protocols, custodians and cover products that they believe um, have bug free code. So if a risk assessor has high confidence in a project uh, and they believe that it's safe and trustworthy, then uh, you know they stake NXM against that project so for example if there's if there's a high premium so the amount that you have to pay every uh, so the amount that you know you have to pay every m- month uh to, for the cost of insurance it if it's much higher than you know than you would expect it's because of two main reasons so either the project's not safe or trustworthy or the demand for cover on this protocol is too is too low right so enough people don't actually want provide no one's using this so like the demand for the cover for this project is not enough so people are just unstaking their nxm and therefore there's a high premium right because you need to justify uh you need to essentially like grow a grow the pot of money that you can potentially pay out uh your you know the, the the people the the people who are insured with right um so nxm can be staked at any uh can be unstaked at any time so there's a 30-day withdrawal period um and actually if a claim is accepted and a payout occurs risk assessors staked against the protocol of the custodian they'll have their staked NXM xm burnt on a proportional basis to facilitate the payout so the so what this actually means is that risk assessors have are incentivized to correctly judge the risk of the pro of the project or custodian or whatever that they are providing cover for and they are and, and you know if there is a claim made against that project and they've said oh you know this project is safe you can you know um the, the premium is going to be x amount and uh you know if if the if there's a claim made against that project and that claim is successful the nxm that they've staked is burnt and is used to pay out uh a proportion of the uh of, of the claim right so um they, so nxm they, they want to create as much cover as possible with the staked nxm uh, so they want to essentially have as capital efficient a model as possible right uh, so funds are held in the capital pool and we get into the capital pool um, in, in in a little bit but funds are held in the capital pool with nxm that represents the membership and, and and nxm acts as the capital to back the cover so risk assessors therefore can stake against protocols custodians and cover projects Uh, products with with a certain amount of leverage, right? Um, So the mutual, it places capacity limits on the amount of cover that's available on specific risks. Um, And you know, because you don't want to be too uh, exposed to one specific kind of risk. So for example, um, there are specific risk limits, and there's a global capacity limit. So the specific risk limit is based on the amount that is staked to a particular risk and a global capacity limit is based on the overall capital resources of the mutual. So the lower of these two limits applies, right? Um, And yeah, so the capacity on any particular risk is limited by the amount of staking on that risk. So again, like if there is no staking, the mutual does not offer any cover, right? Um, So yeah, like in in a nutshell, this is what the the risk assessment angle of Nexus Mutual looks like, um, right? So, in and just to boil that down and summarize it, risk assessors need to stake NXM against protocols or projects to be able to provide cover for that protocol or project. Uh, The amount of capacity, so the amount of cover that Nexus Mutual can provide in aggregate. So let's say that they can provide 100 ETH worth of cover is is dependent upon the amount of NXM that is staked to that particular project. And if there's a claim made on that project, then the NXM is slashed or and uh, and and burned the staked NXM uh, is slashed and burned to be able to provide a payout to uh, the person who's making a claim, right Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, I have okay. so I have a few
0: questions. okay, so let's say I want uh I want cover on like um uni for example, okay I like I want cover against smart contract risk on Uniswap. swap. So uh as a risk assessor, i will if i think that uniswap is you know it's a good protocol there's not going to be any bugs etc i can stake maker towards not the maker. uniswap sorry i can stake uni no uh, nxm no, sorry stake stake nxm uh, to the um to the uniswap pool product. on the nexus oh, pool, on the yeah. product pool whatever on the uh, nexus uh, protocol then uh, Basically, if there is a bug on the Uniswap protocol and the person who wanted a claim on it is coming for their claim, mm-hmm. then Nexus is burned, and the the user who wants cover will be paid back in Uni tokens or in Nexus tokens, or how does it work? uh
1: I think that they would be paid back in you know whatever token that uh I I, I guess I it would be usually ETH. Um, so they would they yeah oh, okay. they would probably pay them pay them back in ETH um they would they would burn the nxm in order to essentially um yeah they would they would burn the nxm in 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 order to you know signify it to, to pay for that eth right um so so nexus you know, has like, a treasury is that where the uh, yeah going? nexus does have a it, it does have a treasury so um like for example right the the nexus mutual token like it's not it, it can so we'll get onto the redemption aspect of it later on but yeah nexus there is a a treasury of eth that nxm can be redeemed for it's not really like an empty token that uh that that just exists you know like it it needs to be redeemable for a liquid token because nxm actually can't be bought on the open market um okay yeah so it 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 is redeemable for ETH.
2: okay so so if i'm a risk assessor to get the nxm i first have to deposit in the treasury
1: you you have to you have to buy membership to the um to the mutual okay. Right, like you have to buy a certain a certain level of membership to the mutual and uh to, to be able to to get nxm um yeah like like for example like you just get a uh you, you can purchase nxm to buy you need to buy nxm to buy cover essentially so you buy membership to the mutual you buy nxm and then you get Uh, you you essentially, you know, um, you can stake your NXM then to whichever pool you want to. You can stake your NXM as a risk assessor. You can, you know, like in in order to, um, for example, purchase cover, NXM is is burned or used to purchase that cover. So you buy NXM and you burn that and you go like, okay, I'm going to buy cover for this protocol.
0: This is, that's kind of, brilliant in a way right because you're putting buying pressure and you're also burning it if you know they they don't correctly assess the risk i mean so in a way long term the best risk assessors would remain on the platform right and make it more and more efficient
1: yeah. And and the thing is that with the NXM token itself, like, I mean, I think it's a great idea because it's not actually tradable on the open market um, to, to like a certain extent. And we can get into that later as well. But it, it's a very useful thing that it's not tradable on the open market because it, it, it should be a closed loop system in which like the members and like the users of the protocol are the ones who benefit from it the most, right? And um, it, it's essentially shielding the protocol from a lot of unnecessary speculative activity. Which it does not need, so the token price here is actually uh, it's a controlled token price that can be shifted up and down depending on market conditions. But but let's get into that later. Okay. 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 I have another question. Just, one, just uh, one
2: more thing on this before we move on to the other question. Um. So the 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 whether the source of the cover, right, is essentially aggregate amount of um the risk assessors' buy-ins plus the premium that the person who wants the insurance.
1: Uh, is paying is that correct? I mean, yeah, like you can look at it that way. Uh, no, you know, right? wouldn't
0: the risk the risk assess? I don't think it would work that way, right? The risk assessors, uh, whatever his stake is, is gonna get burnt if you if they
1: come to claim. Yeah, but, but karma, then right? but but like that stake yeah. gets burnt, but then that's redeemed for ether or whatever, right? Like it. No, it's... So my
2: question is, where is that ETH coming from?
1: Uh, from the, it's, it's coming from premiums, but also I need to, I, I, I think I need to like check this, um, about the, the,
0: I payout. don't think they burn and then, then buy eats that
1: would make no sense if it's burnt, no, it's burnt, right? So, and if... they've got, and they've also got like a, a, a treasury in which they, they've got a treasury um, that they invest, right? Because they do the asset investment aspect of this as well. Like for example, they, they hold all funds on chain, um, right. Sure. And they, they do like buy and hold, uh, they, they do buy and hold strategies, for example, so they lock up ETH, um, they, they, you know, invest in financial instruments based on collateralized lending. So yeah. they have those funds that they, that they invest in order to, um, th- th- in order to, you know, uh fund like the payouts and also like the 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 nxm that is staked like you're purchasing it for some sort of other token right like if you're buying nxm you're buying that nxm no
0: i mean i think because there's a risk of it getting burnt they're taking a risk and when you take a risk you should be rewarded and i'm guessing they would be rewarded with a part of the fee they get more if there's no no whatever the uh a uh, person who wants coverage is paying, and if they do, if there's no breach or no whatever, there's no bug, and they don't need the insurance back, wouldn't a part of that fee go to the NXM staker?
1: Yeah, no, but like it goes to the it goes to the treasury as well, right? Like, the, okay, so yeah, yeah so part staker, would go to the treasury and part yeah, would go so, to the staker so,
0: in that particular pool.
1: So risk assessors earn proportional rewards in NXM equivalent to fifty percent of the cover premium so okay, okay and then the rest would go to the treasury obviously. yeah but the initial yeah. treasury
2: okay. was funded by uh like external but obviously right? like, okay so think
1: of so think about it right like if you're buying membership rights to the mutual you're paying in eth or in like whatever token you want to so that money goes into the treasury right. you're buying yeah. you're buying nxm tokens in the first place to be able to stake it and earn more nxm to- tokens and like risk assess and claims assess and all of those things right so that you're buying those NSM tokens with some sort of cash like with some not cash but like with some currency with some asset you're buying it with eth so that eth goes to the treasury as well okay. right so mm-hmm. when that nxm that is like that is staked against a particular product is burnt that means that the eth is redeemed and like paid out to the uh or die or whatever right like eth or die or usdc or whatever mm-hmm. i think it's eth and die only
2: okay got it so the, yeah, it is. Of the it is. treasury is threefold the membership um, payments the NM, nxm payments and the premium paid by the yeah. uh, retail, whatever, who wants insurance. Yeah, got it.
0: What are nx? What do you mean by nxm payments? Like, like nxm, like
1: rewards.
2: They want to like, once you have to buy nxm, right? Yeah,
1: yeah but same. then that's,
0: I mean, how are you paying for anything with nxm?
2: No, no, no. Wait, if I'm understanding correctly, you first buy membership to the mutual, that's one yes. source of income for the treasury. Once you yeah. buy membership, you earn the right to buy NXM, which you can use yeah. to stay on various, yeah. uh, so that purchase of NXM, does that also go to the treasury?
1: Yeah. I mean okay, like yeah. in the sense yeah, that like the I mean. money that the money wouldn't from... it just
0: be if you buy NXM you get the membership like you're buying No but you can't buy NXM
1: you can't buy NXM on the open market so how can you
0: No like you go on the platform and you exchange NXM for Yeah but there's also like a membership
1: fee there's also a membership fee okay like okay, a cool. minimal membership fee but there is a membership fee
0: okay oh okay okay so okay so yeah you pay I just found it so you pay an ETH or die or uh, to yeah uh, basically you pay a small membership fee which is like 0.002 ETH and you undergo KYC process yeah. and then then you become a member and then you pay an ETH or DAI for uh, NXM tokens. yeah, And then you can use those NXM tokens to stake. If you stake correctly, uh, you get a fee from the people who uh, bought cover. If you stake wrongly, your stake gets burnt and the people who uh, paid for cover get their
1: money back. Through in your, ETH or whatever. whatever. That's the whatever. yeah yeah exactly. Cool. Cool. Okay, so next, um, just to touch upon claims assessment. So claims assessment can be done um, in two ways, right? So, uh, the, uh, so essentially, you can first either use an oracle, which is a trusted uh, off-chain information provider or you crowdsource information and assess claims using like voting mechanics like a prediction market. Um, so, you know, the claims assessment is, is is done by understanding whether that bug was actually there, um, you know, whether the person, you, you just understand whether that person's claim is, uh, is legitimate and it's obviously a lot easier to do on the blockchain because all, all of the data is transparent, right, um, and available, well, most of it at least. So um, the way that the claims assessment works is that voting with a consensus outcome, it entitles claims assessors to a share of the fee pool. Um, So fees are paid as additional NXM tokens and they're valued at a fixed percentage of the uh, cost of cover. Voting against the consensus outcome, it results in locking of the the stake um, or the bond for a longer period. Uh, So they don't really want to burn these tokens, but they just want to lock it for longer um so that like you know exit liquidity is lower right so it, it so obviously and they want to they don't want to burn it because if there are genuine differences of opinion then you don't want to just uh, burn the members tokens and say oh you're a bad claims assessors that just disin- disincentivizes people from voting right or like assessing claims um so the voting power uh, must add up to greater than 5x the cover amount um and the voting power is determined by the number of stake member tokens used to vote so obviously like you've gleaned that you know you need to have uh you need to be able to uh stake stake the nxm tokens in order to be a, a claims assessor as well uh so no consensus results in a reduced fee pool for all assessors and the claim is then escalated to all nexus mutual members for a vote uh and the important thing here is to understand that nexus mutual has actually tried to put in a process uh, in place to make sure that claims assessors don't deny legitimate claims because obviously if you deny legitimate claims then no new users would come to the platform and there would be no in, there would be no one who would actually be using nexus mutual right um so what they have what nexus has said is that they've tested the design with their partners, Incentive AI, um, and Incentive AI uses machine learning algorithms to, to, and I'm quoting, model the behavior of economically incentivized AI agents. I don't really know what that means, um, but they said that they've identified a combination of parameters which give confidence that close to 100% of genuine claims would be paid and close to 0% of non-genuine claims will be paid. Now, I have no idea about how this actually works, um, but I guess it is encouraging that they've at least, you know, uh, pointed out very clearly that this is something that is a legitimate threat to the, st- uh, the stability and success of the protocol. And, uh, they've taken a step to, you know, uh, to, to address it. Uh, so that's essentially how the, how the claims assessment process works. Now the capital model, right. Uh, One the cap- sec.
0: uh before we go to that, um, so in. So what exactly does this AI machine learning thing do?
1: Um,
0: like why is it used?
1: Uh, so that not how, know,
0: not like how, how does it like work? Like why is it used?
1: Um, because they want to essentially make sure that someone who is, uh, a claims assessor is not, uh, someone's a claims assessor is not denying a legitimate claim. Right. Um, because think about it, right? Like if you keep on denying a claim and if you keep on denying, okay. yeah, like if you just keep on okay. saying yeah, it, it, people it. just will never get paid out. Um right. okay, cool. So the next thing is the capital model. Uh so the capital model is you know, it's essentially the pool of capital that they need to have in order to be able to pay cover out. Um, so they have a uh so it, it uses on uh, an insurance stand, uh, industry standard, so it's called um, EOPA's Solvency 2 methodology. Um, so what they want, what what this methodology is constructed to avoid um, is, uh, uh, so it's, it's calibrated to withstand events in a year with 99.5% probability or essentially a 1 in 200 year event, right? Um, so, so, so you know, another method would be to 100% collateralize the insurance contract. So you hold the full sum assured value at all times. But um, this obviously would be a severely reduced capital efficiency, and they won't be able to raise fr- funds appropriately, right? So they, they set a minimum capital ratio value when the pool launched, and it can't ever drop below this. So I think it's about like 162,000 ETH at this point. Um, and the total uh, minimum capital uh, the minimum capital ratio will need to be calculated regularly. So they want to calculate it um, at least once per day, and they're going to do the calculation off chain. Um, so yeah, the way that uh, the capital pool is funded by members pay, as we discussed, members pay a nominal fee for membership, and they contribute into the capital pool by either contributing funds directly, but also by co- purchasing cover products, um, right? So uh, the minimum capital ratio calculation is made up of two components. So they've got this thing called a best estimate liability, uh, which represents the expected loss on each individual cover, and a buffer, which represents the funds the pool needs to have in order to survive a black swan event, right? So um, I'm not going to go too deeply into the way that these calculations are done. But the best estimate li- uh, the best estimate liability is initially equal to the total risk cost across all the active covers on the mutuals books. And um, yeah, like the, uh, the and they've got you know uh, another module in this and they've got two different modules in the buffer. Um, so the buffer's got a smart contract cover module. so it's based on the exposures that Nexus Mutual has to the covers that it's written. And the, and there's a currency module as well, which allows for um, you know fluctuation in the value of other currencies like ETH and uh, like Dai relative to the the base currency, which is ETH. Um, so you know the 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 scenario with the lowest resulting MCR percentage coverage across both the best estimate liability and the buffers picked out. Um, so yeah, essentially the capital model, um, and we, we'll get into, you know, when we're talking again about like the, the redemptions and the tokenomics aspect of this, we'll get a little more in detail about, uh, you know, how the capital model actually works and like how redemptions are allowed for Nexus mutual members and stakers and all of the, uh, and and all of that, uh, the capital model. Now, um, just want to touch upon, sorry, go on. You want to ask a question? no 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 No? all good cool um so yeah just want to touch upon like two um two or three key aspects now that, that that are left in terms of like how nexus actually works and the functions that it runs so the first is asset investment um so as yash mentioned earlier when he was explaining how the insurance industry works uh an insurer or like a mutual in this case needs to Invest the funds that it that it has to, to be able to earn a uh, to be able to earn a good return and also to be able to make sure that its um, that that its assets and liabilities are balanced. Um, so Nexus Mutual it restricts itself to assets of ETH and ERC twenty tokens only. Um, the investment process is automated using Uniswap and it's it it, it, it tries to do only a buy, or, a buy and hold investment strategy uh so trades can, will rebalance the pool as pool as needed um, and uh, yeah so there are trading triggers to deal with liquidity needs that arise from claim payments um and so the the Is proof So um, they want to, in, in proof of stake, invest in financial instruments based on collateral. Uh, okay. So, um, uh, so any changes to the, uh, so each asset held by the mutual, apart from ETH, has a minimum threshold and a maximum threshold. Um, so they've got like a range in the number of units of that asset that they can hold to- to reduce um, you know concentration exposure and like to increase di- and to increase diversification um and any changes to the asset list and thresholds need to be approved by the members through uh, the governance module uh, so you know um they the uh, uh the investments that they have currently got are only two um, main ones which is stake teeth with lido and uh, a Maple Finance deposit that's tracked via the Nexus Mutual Enzyme Vault. Um, so the uh, initially, initially, um, the you know the asset liability management or the asset investment, uh, you know, considerations weren't really important um, because of the because the duration of the cover was low, and the uh, initial currency assets which were uh, ETH and Dai were you know they were in the same denomination as the currencies uh that, that you know the the cover was written in so the the amount that people would be paid out would be um ethan die and they would be holding ethan die anyway so you know there wasn't like too much of a mismatch between those so therefore the asset uh liability management wasn't as important initially right um so that's the asset investment uh angle of how nexus works uh the target audience now now the target audience for the the cover is uh four kinds of um, is four kinds of you know uh, entities it's projects that want to deploy code so because they want to purchase cover in case anything goes wrong um individuals that are looking to in- interact with smart contracts so people like me and you um projects that are launching an ico um who want to essentially give confidence to people uh, participating in that ICO, or like in the token launch or anything like that, to you know, uh, give give them confidence that um, you know that the the code is that the code is covered and uh, people can purchase you know cover for that code and uh, multi sig wallet contracts. Um, so you know just so that the funds themselves are in place and they don't just disappear. Someone just doesn't withdraw them, right? So those are the four key entities that nexus mutual wants to target um but obviously you know in the future if they start adding products that are not only you know crypto native so like there are not only smart contract cover or protocol cover and they're like they, they delve more deeply into the broader world of insurance uh their number of entities and their types of uh the, the, the type of the target audience the makeup of the target audience will will obviously change um now uh, the last component is uh, just the KYC angle, um, and you know just to briefly touch upon this, but uh, it's obviously important for Nexus to identify every member of the mutual. So there is a KYC process involved, and uh, you know this has proven to be a little bit of a barrier because obviously in crypto, no one really likes to do KYC, um, and you know so this might limit uptake of of Nexus uh, going forward. But it is an important consideration that needs to be there cool um, i'll just stop here for a second if there are any questions um otherwise can continue on to the cover products that they offer and the team
2: no yeah, we can con- uh,
1: no nothing from me cool perfect um so the main cover products offered by nexus are of four types so they've got a yield token cover which uh provides uh you know cover against yield bearing token depeg- uh, depegging um, so the depacking risk is covered, and the with the value of the token, um, which is the value right before the hack occurred, uh, then there's protocol cover, so it protects against the hack on a specific protocol. So things like code being used in an un- unintended way, economic design failure, oracle failure, governance attacks, um, protection for assets on uh, layer two solutions, non on non on non Ethereum smart contracts, and protocol and protection for a protocol across multiple chains. So i guess bridge hacks right um then they've got custody cover so it protects against you know halted withdrawals and haircuts on funds stored on centralized exchanges um so for example if a custodian gets hacked where well, the user loses more than 10 percent of their funds um or any uh or if there are any withdrawals from the custodian that are halted for more than 90 days um so those are the the the, the that, that's the type of custody cover and the last one is uh, is cover for you know proof of stake ETH. So ETH, ETH and they've called it ETH2 staking cover. Um, so it's protection against any missed rewards and penalties that are incurred by validators. Um, so any missed consensus rewards as a result of being offline. Um, all deduction made. All deductions made from the covered validators on you know the ETH2 Beacon chain. So this is obviously before um, the merge uh, last week. So and. Um, you know, for periods post the merge, any transaction rewards um, missed as a, a result of being offline. Uh, so you know, so they it, it does cover, you know, the the possibilities that have emanated after the merge. Um, so it, it essentially validators are offline, it, it covers those, um, those rewards, which is actually a, a pretty interesting thing to consider, because, um, you know, if the validators are getting rewards, even for being offline, um, what Release really the incentive to validate as much but anyway that's kind of a separate point that we don't want to discuss uh right now um but i guess obviously that they have considered this right like it must be uh something like you, you're offline for a short amount of time and not a significant extended period of time um because they the the wording that they've put into their protocol cover uh and for each uh and not only protocol cover sorry for like each cover product is pretty comprehensive um so yeah, um, essentially, these are the types of cover uh, that they that they want to uh, protect against uh, right now, right? Um, in uh, the future, in terms of their roadmap, they want to cover things like um, you know, um, dependencies or partial claims. Uh, they want to do things like real world products. So they've mentioned earthquake cover uh they want to um they, they want to do the, the and and like in general um it indicates how you know these types of protocols it is important for them to begin their life um as providing cover for crypto native products but there is scope for them to expand to provide uh, expand and provide cover for uh you know general general risks right um right so that's it but this speaks to like a wider argument right that even
0: DeFi in general it all needs to link to real world assets otherwise it's its own siloed ecosystem and you know it doesn't it's just Mm -hmm. ensuring one thing that's not really connected to anything to the real world anyway right definitely it's just its own thing
1: definitely yeah the real world angle of this is really important and I, i guess like when you provide cover for real world products it just unlocks a whole new Target addressable market, right? So it's it's just a whole new avenue of expansion.
0: Yeah, and also comes with that much
1: regulation. Also, yeah. So of course, two yeah. sided coin. Yeah, cool. Um, next thing that I want to touch upon is the team. Uh, so the team uh, consists of a bunch of uh you know insurance experts. Uh, it's it's led by a, a gentleman known uh, called Hugh Karp. Um, he's an insurance professional and actually with 15 years of experience uh, in a broad range of act- insurance and reinsurance roles. So he was CFO of uh, for, of life insurance, um, UK and Ireland for Munich Re. Uh, then they've got uh, the, their operations head is uh, Kaylee Petri, um, previous experience of the UK civil service in, in the NHS. Um, business development is uh, Ricky Tan, who's a Um, was an MBA from UC Berkeley. Um, founder of research company Token Data and experience in institutional finance and early stage startups. And they've got a few folks on the engineering uh, side as well. So um, they've got four folks on the engineering side. Uh, so Roxana Danila, who I think um, leads the engineering uh, team. So she's a product engineer, five years of experience leading and building software products at scale. Um, she was backed by entrepreneur first and was a tech lead at Facebook. Um, and she was co-founder and CEO at Nectar, and, and, and CTO at Nectar. Um, and there are three other, three other folks, um, software engineers. So, um, Anatole Prisakaru, uh, sorry, that was a little tough, um, Dragos Horodnik and Dan Octavian. So, um, yeah, you know, people with five, seven, 10 years of experience, um, you know, uh, they've, some of them have worked in the in the blockchain space some of them have not but yeah enough experience in um, engineering and uh, development um their advisory board consists of uh, of five people uh, one two three four five yeah, right so it's UCARP, uh, who's the, who's the founder of nexus mutual um, it's another insurance expert called renis melbardis who's a uk actually with experience leading insurance capital transactions and systems development, um, valuation and regulatory products. And he was a capital solutions actually at Aon and head of finance projects at Munich Re. Um, they've got a mutual expert as well, Graham Thurgood, who's an insurance professional of 17 years, um, was set up and ran mutuals in the UK, worked for RSA, Allianz and Aviva. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of like heaps of experience in the, in the insurance space on the advisory board. Uh, Roxana Danila, who leads the engineering team, and they've got Nick Munoz McDonald, who's a uh, security expert and uh, yeah, works and and is essentially a smart contract security expert. So they've got a pretty um, experienced and uh, diverse board, I would say, uh, in terms of covering the exact type of topics that Nexus does need to cover. So I think that this team that they've got is very well balanced. Um, Cool, anything on that?
0: No, I mean it just sounded like they got a bunch of different people with expertise in smart contracts and insurance and engineering and put them together to build a decentralized insurance product, right? I mean, they needed all these people and they went
1: and got them. Exactly. So, so I think it's a great, it's 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 a really good example of what a team for a product like this should be. Um, so before I get into tokenomics, just want to talk a little bit about um just a couple of key facts. Um, so um yeah like the revenue that um actually like let's let's get into the performance later but just wanted to point out that they've done um three audits already um april 2019 june 2020 and may 2021 so clearly due an audit this year um and they are part of uh, the immunify bug bounty program and they've collaborated with deadob which offers security expertise so i guess that they've got the security aspect of their smart contracts uh, under control which is a really good sign as well um so now let's jump into the tokenomics, right? So the NXM token, right? It, as we've spoken about, it represents membership rights in the mutual. So all members own the mutual together in proportion to their individual NXM holdings, um, and the NXM token runs on a bonding curve. So uh, the bonding curve defines the relationship between price and token supply. Um, now the token is meant to it, it, it has two main uses. It's meant to dynamically react. To the prevailing conditions and capitalization levels. And it, it's meant to reward active members for participating in claims assessment, risk assessment, um, et cetera, right? So as, as emissions essentially. So the member tokens, so NXM tokens can be used, can be burned to purchase cover. And um, the token value is determined by the continuous token model. Um, and 90% of the tokens used to purchase cover are burned. And the t- and the remaining ten percent are locked for the cover period plus thirty five days as they're required to submit a claim, uh, and only members of the mutual will be able to own tokens, which is really refreshing actually. Um, and tokens can't be transferred to any NXM uh, sorry any Ethereum address that's not been designated as a member, which is which is an interesting uh, uh, way. You know, it's just an interesting design structure for the NXM token. Now, what the uh, yeah, so nxm right um the the way the token price works is um through a formula um the so it's i'm just going to briefly say it it's not you know really important for us at this point um but essentially it's a plus mcr divided by c multiplied by mcr percentage raised to the power of 4 and a where a and c are, are constant values that were calibrated at launch uh, MCR is the value of the minimum capital requirement in ETH that grows as um, the number of covers grows, and the MCR percentage is the ratio of the capital pool to the minimum capital requirement, right? Um, and another point is that, you know, cover holders can't really transfer sell their cover policies at this point, they have to hold them through the duration of their cover. <clears throat> now, um, the way that the token price is mostly influenced is through the relative, uh, it's through the funding level of the mutual, which reflects the, um, in a, in a, uh, immediate financial position of the mutual. It encourages recapitalization when funding levels are low and, um, yeah, in the long term, the required capital to support the covers, um, this, the minimum capital requirement will rise, uh, to reflect the adoption of the platform. Right. Um, and it's, cal- and it's calculated, I think almost daily now, um, the, uh, the the token price uh, yeah so essentially anyone at any point can purchase tokens via the token price model um, so when funding is required price is lower to encourage funds to be placed and if the and the token price um, increases when funds are higher right uh, so essentially to encourage people not to buy as much when there's quite a lot in the uh, quite a lot of funding already um, the price also increases based on the business growth. Um, And yeah, uh, as we know, you know, funds are allocated as incentive to perform claims and risk assessment, Um, right? So the initial currencies that Nexus uses are Ether and DAI. Now an important aspect to get into is actually the redemption and the purchase limits, right? So NXM can be redeemed for Ether from the mutual, right? Uh, But however, there are several restrictions that apply to the redemption and purchase of the NXM tokens Um, and they want to put these restrictions in place to ensure that the mutual always has sufficient funds to confidently pay members' claims. Now redemptions are restricted if MCR percentage is lesser than 100% and purchases are restricted if the MCR percentage is greater than 400% and redemptions and purchases are limited per transaction to 5% of the minimum uh, capital requirement. Right. Um, and the capital pool also needs to have enough liquidity in ETH to execute on the redemption. And to discourage speculation, uh, the redemption price is two and a half percent lower than the purchase price derived from the token model. Um, so essentially what they're trying to do is that they are trying to they are allowing for redemption, but they're putting a lot of uh, you know restrictions on it. And this has actually caused a problem because um the because essentially the amount of usage on the platform is obviously restricted and like people are less incentivized to use the platform as much if they can't even redeem the NXM that they hold, right? And the the only way to do that uh, today is through wrapped NXM. Now wrapped NXM is a one-to-one back token that can only be generated by wrapping genuine NXM. Um, It's fully tradable but can't be used at all within the Nexus mutual platform only members can wrap or unwrap uh, NXM NXM tokens, right? So it's the only way that NXM can be sold on public markets, which makes interacting with the protocol only accessible to crypto natives. Um, This is fine right now, since the main products offered are crypto native ones, but if NXM decides to expand to other risks, user flexibility and options are really important, right? And the thing is that the price of wrapped NXM on exchanges is much lower and completely uh, decoupled from the token price of NXM. So for example, imagine if I've bought NXM uh, at the token price of let's say like $20, but the to- the price of racked NXM on exchanges for liquidity is only $8 uh, and I'm and you know, so that just means that I don't have a profitable and capital efficient form of exit liquidity, which means that I don't have as much of an incentive to actually act as a claims or risk assessor because I can't actually cash out my profits today in a um, in in the most efficient manner so that kind of places a bit of a uh, a barrier to someone who wants to become a uh, to, to someone who actually wants to become a claims or risk assessor or participate in the protocol and they do need to sort this out uh, right so um, so in in terms of the the uh, the redemption right like you you can clearly see that there's a problem with this this rap model um, right? and the the uh, the problem has actually increased, and it's been magnified by the fact that um the minimum capital pool level is set at one hundred and sixty two thousand four hundred and twenty five eth, which sets the MCR at one hundred percent. So obviously below this, no redemptions are permitted. But the problem is that even before the um like previously when the capital pool level of eth was much higher, um, and the amount of ETH in the capital pool was uh, was essentially higher than 162,425 ETH. Redemptions were still not allowed at that point in time, which doesn't really make as much sense to me. And it is a bit of a uh, uh, an issue that needs to be looked at because you can't be restricting the re- the redemption of your members from Nexus Mutual if you want to build a sustainable protocol. That that just doesn't allow- that just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't make sense. And um, you know so the only way for them to exit is mint the tradable um, uh, wrap nexus uh, mutual tokens sell it on the open market and 25.7% of nxm tokens have been wrapped as um, uh, have been wrapped right and it trades as a substantial discount to its stated value of the bond income, which means that people are just looking for exit liquidity, they just want to get out. And especially in a bear market and a situation like today, people do want to have control over their holdings, and they don't just want to hold it in Nexus, um, you know, hoping and praying that they'll be able to redeem at some point in the future for the token price. Um, you know, so I, I yeah, I think that this is a bit of a, a barrier um, that, I, that I've noticed um, for, for Nexus. So yeah, in general that's the tokenomics angle that i wanted to go through and i know that you guys will have questions and comments so 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 feel feel free now
2: this this whole thing um last bit that we just spoke about it just uh, shouts of centralization risk um because i would expect if they have a minimum capital pool requirement um you know under which you cannot redeem ease i'm assuming that's you know encoded on in a smart contract um to enforce such a thing and then if it's above that then the smart contract will allow you to redeem but if they're still not letting someone redeem that e that i mean we haven't gotten to governance but it just makes look that like the whole redemption is gated by a centralized entity and this is yeah. no different than you know something like um like a BlockFi or a nexus like a you know the other nexus um stopping your redemptions uh as a retail investor so i mean this is quite quite significant
1: yeah i think that like initially they didn't allow for it because they kind of wanted to build up the capital pool and like see how uh, and and well not adversely impact the the level of funding in the capital pool and just be insured but yeah i mean like if you said that you're going to be allowing for uh, if you said that you're going to be allowing for you know redemptions then you should be allowing for redemptions and you should be giving that flexibility to your to your members yeah but
2: we don't know if this is encoded or not right
1: yeah i'm not sure whether this sure. level is encoded um sure. the computation for the uh for, for the minimum capital ratio happens off chain um which is uh-huh. a centralization risk so um yeah like i mean there are there are certain uh yeah there are certain trade offs in terms of centralization and decentralization sure. that they've had to make i don't think that that's actually like all of the all of the uh trade offs that they've made are bad and we'll get into that in a second when we cover the governance model um Right, but yeah. Um, yeah, anything, thing else. but this bad. particular thing should not be done off chain, right? Because this is a crucial.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, it yeah, really I, affects I, the token price, right? They and are doing it. Or yeah, like anything I, that affects token price should be on chain, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, they are they are doing it off chain um to save on gas costs, but yeah, I think that you're right. I mean that they sh- they shouldn't do that um. And if it's actually off- dependent
2: on form- a formula, a mathematical formula, then I don't see why. You know why it can't be done
1: yeah like the capital pool size right like for example in terms of ETH, in um you know it's like done in... off-chain
0: because each pool will have different risk assessors saying what should be the minimum capital ratio because so like it's a DeFi protocol you're trying to capitalize and there's no mm-hmm. correct answer really right that everyone will have different assessments and there's kind of needs to be a consensus and maybe that's not easy to do on-chain
1: Yeah. And and also, like, I mean, just to, uh, like, the capital pool ratio has been below the minimum capital requirement since, I guess, uh, I mean, roughly since, I mean, I would even say Jan 2021 because it was hovering around that limit for a very long time and and it started dropping i guess like at the end of november 2020 start of december 2020 uh right so the capital pool i guess that they just stopped redemptions at that time because it was getting really close to the minimum capital requirement and um and and it's not really been higher than the minimum capital requirement uh, for a significant period of time. I mean, it's it, since December 2021, um, it it slipped below like 162,000 uh, ETH to 154,000, and today it's about like 153,000. So I get why they don't allow redemptions right now. And they are covering more than the amount of uh, cover you know that capital pool does hold more ETH than the amount of cover yeah. uh, that they are exposed to, which is very important from a risk perspective. But mm-hmm. I guess that you know um, the redemptions aspect. Like if they didn't allow redemptions um, when the capital pool was at you know 213, 200 uh, 200,000 ETH uh, in you know October 2020, then you know that that's not a good sign
2: and just one more question on the wrapped nxm um so i mean people sell it to get out of the whole ecosystem which makes sense but people who buy it on the uh, in the open market what is is beyond speculation is there any other is any reason why they uh you know make the yeah i
1: guess that they could i guess that they uh, it's for those people they buying the membership fee is cheap right it's like 0.002 ETH or something so they can just buy the membership fee with that address first get that rack wrapped nxm on that same address get it for a lower price in the you know nxm token price and then go onto the nxm platform unwrap it and then get like a discount but then uh,
2: are, you're risking uh you know the centralization thing we've mentioned earlier that they don't they won't be able to redeem
1: yeah they won't be able to redeem they'll have to yeah exactly like i mean if got you it. if you really got just it. want to get onto this thing and yeah I, I guess it is that
2: got it got
1: it cool um now I just want to touch upon the governance model. The governance model is actually very interesting, um, right? So the uh, so, so an advisory board um, is set up to facilitate decisions that um, you know that require interaction with the non-blockchain world and c- govern extreme scenarios. So it's got no custodial rights over the fund pool, can't release funds to any particular person, and each board member can be replaced at any time via the member voting process. Um, so the, uh, at, at the start it'll contain several individuals or members of the mutual. So that advisory board that we spoke about earlier on and, um, r- right. So the, their key authorities are to, um, facilitate and implement the wishes of the membership base, um, punish bad actors within claim, claims assessment, uh, meet legal and regulatory requirements. Um, they've got this emergency pause functionality, which I'll get into in a second and whitelist, um, on uh, and vote on proposals were required right so they had three concerns that they wanted to solve through their governance model so member participation so they wanted high participation but they recognized that holding member attention plus gas costs involved in voting means that this is a challenge uh they want to minimize any centralization because that DAO is a real company and they have a legal requirement to have a board and they wanted to upgrade the code but avoid stagnation if member participation is low. So I really like the fact that they've actually outlined these three key guiding values from the very start with which they built their governance model. right? So now how the governance process actually works. So there's a board of um, five members that whitelist proposals, they provide a recommended outcome for each proposal, votes are put to the entire member base for a token weighted vote, and it's capped at 5% maximum weight, which is amazing, because honestly, that just that solves the whale problem uh, that we've been talking about in governance. The majority outcome prevails if a quorum of 15% is reached. If the quorum isn't reached, the board recommendation proceeds, which is fair, I think, right. And that's the correct trade off between centralization and decentralization that a DAO model should have, in my opinion. Um, Now, tokens are locked for a period of time after participating and voting um to ensure that those voting have a vested interest in the outcome of the votes again great uh there are token rewards for participating in the vote and the best the best part in my opinion is that rewards are split between the number of members voting rather than the number of tokens voting and because they have a kyc requirement to join nexus you know who the members are and that's why this is like the, this is the best form of governance in my opinion because you can actually have a you can completely get rid of the whole one token one vote model which we've seen everyone implement and everyone knows that this is not a good model because direct democracy has not worked and um and to essentially have identified members voting is a really good sign because there's reputational risk firstly and also the fact the fact is that the 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 outcome of the vote is a lot more fair, in my opinion, um, if if members vote rather than the, the number of tokens that they hold. And another thing is that a member can delegate a proxy to vote on their behalf and still receive all the rewards in the vote. Um, and a proxy can be any other member and they can be revoked any uh, at, at any uh, any time, right? So I think that this this governance model is actually one of the most developed ones that I've seen. I think it's a really good model. Um, And uh, I I think that just in terms of avoiding some of the pitfalls of DAO governance, it does a really good uh, job. One thing to obviously note is that um, it's possible because of the KYC requirement, um, right? So you know it's a double-edged sword because you do KYC and you get the benefits. You don't do KYC, you don't get the benefits, and you have to deal with like the kinds of DAO governance models that we're seeing where we're really trying to understand how to implement a successful model without requiring each individual identity to be attested to uh, so i think that that's an important point to consider yeah. right um now the uh they want to reduce board centralization by um you know allowing any member to raise a proposal to replace a board member with themselves which bypasses the whitelist gate um if accepted by the membership they automatically join the board and the board has no input on this process other than voting in their own capacity as a member, I think that's a really good way to reduce centralization of the board. Uh, now uh, something that I think is very cool is that this their, their governance solution is built on the GovBlocks platform, I hadn't actually heard of this before. But um, they this allows them for a lot of modularity in the governance process so they can tweak a lot of parameters very quickly with governance. So token, so voting weights, rewards, uh, quorum levels, all components of the governance process can be changed very quickly and efficiently. And another thing which is awesome is that they have, there's the ability to implement automatic actions. So it allows any changes agreed in the protocol, in the proposals to be deployed automatically. So a proposal is agreed upon. And, um, you know, if like, for example, you want to change a parameter in the code or, you know, create a new smart contract for the entire code base, these proposal results are implemented automatically. So there's no lag, right? And that's the beauty of and friction-free experience of blockchain and smart contracts and tokens that we wanted. So I think it's really good to see that they are implementing this. Um, Right. So just a few trade-offs in terms of decentralization, but honestly, I'm not of the belief that you need to have extreme decentralization to achieve anything. I think that there should be a good balance. Um, So for example, right, I think um, the off-chain capital model, um, the capital models run off-chain due to high gas costs and results are notarized on-chain once per day. They want to move this on-chain in the future once heavy computation solutions become viable. Um, The pricing model is also run off-chain due to gas requirements. And, uh, that that's the you know that's it. and it's posted on the blockchain once a day, which is good. Um, and they are trying to mitigate the, the the trade-offs of you know centralization decentralization here. Now um, the there are there's a proposal whitelist process. So the advisory board initially whitelists all governance pro- proposals um and assigns them a default voting outcome. And this voting outcome, the default voting outcome proceeds if you know governance if quorum hasn't reached. Um, now the thing is that I think it's very it's, this is a really good thing because um, you know I, I think that it's important for uh, you know a a protocol to be able to succeed and grow quickly without um, you know it, without being stopped in its tracks if there's not enough governance um, if there's not enough voting participation. And uh, they've got an emergency pause function, which stops all transactions. Now, this is actually a problem. I think that this needs to be like this is a proper, you know, uh, centralization risk. And uh, all advisory board members, they've agreed to using this only in extreme circumstances. But the 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 type of you know field that we're in, I don't think that that's that guarantee is enough. Um, and yeah, this is like one of the bigger centralization risks that I've seen. But Um, Yeah, I think that overall, I think the governance model is really good, and um, I I think that it's constructed very, been constructed very carefully with a lot of thought. And uh, yeah, and and, you know, just if you guys have any thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, overall, if you look at tokenomics and governance, they've clearly put in a lot of effort. It's just that unless a protocol is absolutely perfect in terms of its flywheel, even one you know bad part in the entire cog can just derail the entire project so by with that whole redemption mechanism not being great and um the this one governance centralization risk you spoke of it could be a potential factor that leads to its downfall but overall i'm a fan of the idea at
1: least exactly i think that it's done very deliberately like i think they've thought through this very carefully yep definitely Cool. Um I will the last thing I'll move on to I because conscious that we've been speaking for a while is the performance aspect of this. Um so in terms of performance, right? So um the active cover amount size uh today is um I think it is a hundred and forty two thousand, hundred and forty-three thousand eight hundred and sixty ETH. While the capital pool size is about uh, 153,732 ETH, uh, right? So um, the capital pool needs to grow since it's getting closer to the active cover amount than it ideally should. Uh, Capital is 91.82% efficient, um, which is good, uh, but it's veering into dangerous territory actually um, right now. Now, an interesting fact to note is that the losses experienced compared to total premiums paid are 34%, which is really high. Um, So the claims accepted uh, are $7.6 million, while the total premiums paid are $22.4 million. This is really high when you take into account premiums earned in 2022 are $5.7 million and claims paid out in 2022 are $5.4 million. Now that's huge, right? Um, It shows the amount customers are paying for premiums, but also the amount of smart contract hacks and failures that have occurred this year. And this number's been significantly distorted by the fact that they paid four point nine, they paid five million dollars because of the Rari capital hack, which accounts for sixty five percent, sixty five six percent of the total losses, and ninety three percent of twenty twenty two losses. So this it just shows you what can happen when they don't assess the risk properly. Right, like when they like, and not even properly. Right, like people thought Rari Capital was fine. Like people thought it had good contracts. They thought the team was great. Um, it just shows you the danger of crypto at this moment in time. Um, and that you know such one-off events can have such a significant impact on uh, you know the 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 amount that's paid out and the uh, and just you know the just distort the losses so much. Now, the the premium for this above cover ID, um, so it's 7149, right, so the $5 million paid because of Rari Capital, uh, the cover started only on 4th April, and the payout uh, date was 18th May this year. So, it just means that the premium was not paid for very long, and the hack took place not long after the cover was taken. But assuming that the premium was paid daily, right? Like in terms of, um, if you say ten thousand seven hundred and sixty-six point five five, and you divide that by the number of days between April fourth and May eighteenth, um, the yearly premium was only one point seven seven percent, which is incredibly low. Um, I think at least in terms of the pre, uh, but again, I I can't judge this accurately enough because I'm, I'm not a risk assessor. Um, but I think that the premium was. It seems like it was a bit low, given the market conditions and given like the macro environment that it resulted um, after the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Um, but again, obviously that doesn't translate into a smart contract getting ha- uh, a, a failing or getting hacked. But you know, in terms of just how nascent crypto is, a 1.77% yearly premium seems a little bit low to me. Um, now, um, you know, it it does show the robustness of the protocol. That it's paid out a large amount in one go, but it also shows the shows the risk of DeFi in its current state that contracts and pools that are deemed to be safe can still be so risky and still lead to such a large risk for the mutual, right? Um, now the annualized premiums in force they've decreased significantly since Jan 2022, um, and even more so from their peak in summer 2021. So this reflects and tracks almost exactly with the broader downturn in DeFi. Um, so and this makes sense right so with less funds in projects to ensure premiums and cover are bound to fall um and this is an interesting dynamic since it's clear that ne- nexus mutual success is highly positively correlated with the success of defi and that makes sense again because more projects to insure more premiums to be paid and you know more money to nexus mutual uh so you know it, uh, it, it's it's a very interesting dynamic that you know the the success of ne- nexus mutual is very closely linked to the success of defi in general now, the market cap of NXM in the market is $47.3 million, which is much less than the amount in the capital pool. Um, so, But redemptions are halted right now, which means that there's no real value to holding the NXM tokens um, other than staking them and acting as a claims or risk assessor in the hope that the capital pool rises high enough to enable redemptions. Now, since the low pool is lower than the minimum capital requirement right now and the, and given the state of the market we're in, it'll probably this will probably significantly lag market recovery and only be enabled after it's clear that the market has recovered so this means that the value of the nxm token is only to purchase cover at the moment and given how you know cover has been trending with nxm demand for the token is probably not high so this is a bit of a paralysis state that they've reached right and what that means is that they need to reduce token price significantly and uh, in, in order to encourage people to actually buy cover for their protocol and you know they, they're just gonna have to take the loss and um uh, and you know in order to gain more activity uh on, on their on their platform at the current moment um then uh the capital efficiency ratio since august 2022 since last month basically it's ranged between 77 to 100 percent um uh and it's and as of september 18 so five days ago it was 77 percent um since the capital pool size is already below the minimum capital requirement nexus needs to in- incentivize the injection of liquidity into the capital pool by lowering the price even more this disadvantages current nxm holders but it may be the only way to shake the paralysis attract capital and grow in the bear market like i said right and uh yeah the, their 12-month rolling revenue statement shows heavy losses at 56 million dollars uh of the of which 52 million dollars um uh, were attributed to investment losses and this is in line with the broader market but it also shows a need for a more prudent risk management right so they might need to deposit into uncorrelated assets like goldfinch or um, things like that in order to be able to not be exposed to the wider fortunes of the crypto market um right and also the fact that the the investment uh strategy may not be as lucrative as you know initially thought but yeah, I think that that's essentially the, um, the 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 way that Nexus's performance has been trending. Um, but yeah, I think that that's it for me in terms of analyzing Nexus and how it's done um, and how it works. I think overall, I think it's a really good protocol. with a really good idea. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, in general, um, I'm pretty you know, I think that this, this structure can be replicated pretty well. And if they sort out the redemptions, um, and if they sort out like this stasis that they're in right now, with terms of token price and cover purchases, and if they're, if they can expand to products that are not correlated with the wider DeFi market, uh, and with DeFi in general, then they have a, h- a higher chance of succeeding. But yeah, overall, I think that I'm pretty positive on nexus. Yeah, yeah I think, I think it's a
2: commendable job. For the space they're approaching, which is highly, highly complex. Um, of course, yeah. we've not touched upon the regulatory aspect, but I mean, that's that's true for any project. Um, yeah. so, so I mean, that's just part and parcel of building in the space. But other than that, I think. can I, how how old are they? How old? When did uh,
1: they? Come? I think they launched in. Uh, 2020, but I can't be sure. Um, I'm not, I, I haven't, uh, Didn't they do an audit in 2019? Oh, sorry. Yeah. The April 2019. Yeah. So they, sorry, they must, I yeah. think they launched in 20, uh, they must've launched in 2018
2: or 19. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. I think for two, three years in such a, in such a segment, I think they made yeah. progress.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
2: Yeah. Cool. I think, I think we can wrap things up now.
1: Perfect. Yep. Cheers. Uh, I think yeah, yeah. Should go on.
0: Yeah, that's all from us. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to the viewers for listening in again, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy enjoy this episode.
1: Cheers. Thanks, everyone, and sure. see you next time.